He had it out for me from the beginning, so I carried a knife. It was long and shiny, like a silvery tooth. They say only dead men still tell the truth. Welcome to Wednesday Night Musical Osmosis, where intelligent, dissonant thought meets melodic, euphonious reality. I am your musically magnanimous host, Nick the Saucy One Catsaurus, broadcasting to you as always from the shadow of Hurricane Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my percussively proficient co-host, calling in all the way from Charm City, Maryland, the man with a lot of charm, my pal Odell. Odell, hey, how's the weather up? out there? Uh, confusing. <laughs> it's confusing. It's uh, today. I mean, the last couple of days haven't been that bad, but um, we're expecting uh, some more crazy weather here uh, as the weekend comes in. You know, it really kind of pisses me off. I see every day people be like, Tennessee weather so crazy. Utah weather so crazy. You know, um, you know, Florida weather so crazy. I'm like, no, the fucking weather is crazy because climate change exists. It's not just one exactly. your little pocket of the country. You know, it's, yeah, it's insane yeah. to me. To this morning, I asked Alexa, I was like, what's the temperature today? And she was like, right now, it's 43 degrees. Today's high is 66. And I'm like, damn, man, it's going to be like a 25-degree shift in the next couple hours. That is not yeah, normal. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah, like here, it's it, it was supposed to get up to a certain temperature. Never, It didn't even come close to it. It just sort of stayed cold. Yeah, so it even, even though it looked nice out and was... It, you would have thought it would have been warm because they were saying at least in the you know mid forties to fifties, it barely. I think it was like thirty eight degrees. I was talking yeah. with an older person the other day, and they were just like, "This weather's so crazy. I don't understand it." And they're a super climate change denier. And if you're like, "Well, you know, it's climate change." Oh no, no, I'm sure it's not that. It's something else. This would be to me. It's like getting cancer and having five doctors tell you you have cancer, and every day you're coughing up blood and a tumor's growing. And you're like, "Well, no, no, no. I don't want to be treated for cancer. I know it's not cancer. I mean, there's something wrong with me, but cancer is a hoax." 
Like to yeah, me, it's like yeah. the, like there's something wrong. The climate's all fucked up. We're having all of these disasters on magnitudes we've never seen before. The, the ice caps Disaster. are like melting <laughs> at rates we've never seen before. But don't call it climate yeah. change. Like we just need to come up with a different name for it. Yeah, yeah. It's like the uh, what's that? The uh, was it the Allstate commercial where uh, he he you know uh, Dennis Haysbert is like you know we're having once in a hundred year storms like every other year now or something like that. He says something and, you know, we've had 20 once in a 50 year storms or something like that. And in the commercial and it's like, you know, that's actually the truth. <laughs> it's like, well, we're not supposed to get this in another, you know, in our lifetime. And then boom, we get something even worse. Yeah. So it's, it's like, like if we saw Haley's comet every October. Exactly. You'd be like, what exactly. the fuck is going on with the universe? Yeah. So sad state of affairs. All right, let's get the show back upbeat. And nobody's better to bring it upbeat than the girl who <laughs> helps me off the ledge every day. The wonderful D Prizer Maven, the producer. Just D. Yeah. Just Multi name. Multiverse D. Yes. That is me. <laughs> um, yes, it's gonna be super awesome the next few weeks on Musical Osmosis. We have got Emanuela Hutter Hutter from Hillbilly Moon Explosion. I am going to have to teach you to say that name as soon as I figure it out. Um, and then we've also got Egg Drop Soup and Kudzu Wish coming up on the next uh, musical. I know Adele's excited about that. When was the yeah, last time you yeah. talked to those guys, like in person or on the phone, not just over a Facebook thread? Oh, my goodness. It's been – the last time I talked to Adam, It's um, it's been a while, man. I think he played up here – um, in like the late 2000, before, before Linus was born. So like wow. 2008, 2009, Susan may have been pregnant with Linus. And, uh, we went and saw, he had a couple bands. We saw, he had a band war bomb and Adam Thorne in the top buttons. And we went and saw every, every time he tried to make it through Baltimore, um, we would go and try to see him. And then, um, he moved up here for, he was here for a while, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, but I, I I never got a chance to catch up with him unfortunately. But I I don't know if he's still up here or if he's back down in North Carolina or not. No, he's back down in North Carolina I'm because assuming, yeah, I'm assuming he is. He is because Brian from FDA actually sent me his information when I put up that Rufus Waldorf page and was like, hey man, you've got to because I have a bunch of old videos of Adam. And he's like, you know, Adam doesn't have yeah. Facebook, but you have to figure out a way to get these videos to Adam. Uh, yeah, and yeah, then that kind of got the wheels in motion. Oh, is he? Yeah, he was yeah. saying he wasn't on there. Yeah, he and he didn't have any way of seeing him. No, because uh, I sent him a happy birthday thing when his birthday came around a couple months ago, and he, you know, you know, thanked me. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he's on there. He's not. He he's just not a frequent. You know, he gets on there from time to time, and he'll put a picture up and stuff like that. But I don't know what know. that's like. I live on Facebook, unfortunately. All right, let's get today's <laughs> guest in here tonight. We've got an insane episode. Odell, how insane is our episode tonight? I'm just trying to figure out how this person has the time to do anything after you read uh, his bio. <laughs> yeah, it's like, insane, dude. Yeah. I thought I wore a lot of different hats, hosting three different types of podcasts and running a network along with, you know, day job and life. But tonight's guest makes me right. look like a freaking lazy idler. He is a cryptozoologist, <laughs> monster hunter, filmmaker, author, actor, and badass vocalist for the Gothabelly, which I didn't even know was a term, was a genre, yeah. um, band Ghoul yeah. Town. 
the hard drinking yeah. rock and roll renaissance man himself. Here he is, Lyle Blackburn. Lyle, what is up? Hey, uh, well, apparently a lot of stuff. <laughs> apparently, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's the way it is all the time. Absolutely, Thanks man. For We're always the time out, man. Yeah, taking the time out. I, you know, I was thinking when we got you on the phone, I was like, man, dude, like I bet Lyle right now is as we're talking to him, because he's such a fucking creative entity, he's probably like writing a song, doing research for his next book, and like archiving footage as we're speaking to him. Is that what's going on in the background? We can't see you. Yeah. So. It kind of actually is. <laughs> I was doing something while y'all were <laughs> introing the show, to be honest, but... Yeah, you know, I, I have to do a lot of juggling. Now, man, I bet. And I mean, here's the thing. Every once in a while, a couple months ago, I was researching for another show. I ran across your videos. I immediately was, oh, my God, I'm hooked on Ghoul Town. And then I went down the Lyle rabbit hole, and I saw everything you did. And every once in a while, we'll have someone on this show who has such a fucking amazing body of work. And it just floors me that they're not a household name. And as I'm going through, you've got four books under your belt. You've narrated several films. Everything that you've done, it just floored me. I hadn't heard of you before two months ago. That's crazy to me, considering you've been around, what, 25 years, 30 years out there in the ether producing content? Oh, yeah, at least, yeah. I mean, pretty much since I was in high school, I I was on, well, back then it was vinyl records. So, I mean, I had a... I was on a record before I was ever out of high school. and Half our audience now is Googling what a vinyl record is, by the way. <laughs> hey, <laughs> well, vinyl's back. Well, it's all back. this renaissance now. Yeah, it's like funny how that works. But yeah, so yeah, I mean, I've you know been a writer and musician in one form or fashion for my entire life. And so, yeah, that's kind of added up to a lot of stuff. So when you're in a position like you're in, where you have this amazing body of work, but you're not a household name. Like, you know, my dad's not going to know who you are or anything like that. How do you measure success personally? Is it just by creative output? Is it by how many albums you move and how many clicks you get on Facebook? Or is it just a, hey, I'm doing what I love. I'm doing what I'm passionate about. And I'm sustaining myself. That's success to me. Yeah, I think uh, a little bit of two things. I mean, if I'm proud of everything I've put out, um, and re, you know, that, that to me is successful, you know, no matter if, a, you know, a core audience likes it or a billion people like it, of course, you know, a billion people would be great, but I mean, there's also that, you know, the fact that I can do this for a living and, you know, I'm, I make a well, you know, well enough living and, you know, get to travel around and do all kinds of cool stuff and be on various TV shows and, you know, tour with Ghoul Town and play, you know, big festivals and whatever. I mean, to me, it's success. I mean, I, what more do I really want? I don't, I don't even care to have mansions or anything else. So it's like, I'm, I'm doing great. And though I'm, you know, maybe not the biggest name in the world, it's only because I'm not sort of in the mainstream, but below that, you know, I've got a core level of fans in both kind of the music mm -hmm. and, the, and, and in the crypto zoology type world to where, man, it just, I mean, I'm always, you know, just meeting the demand almost. 
Absolutely. And I mean, I agree with you on your definition, my yeah. definition of success, I think is the same. Odell, me and you were emailing back and forth all week, like, hey, look at this, look at what he has here. What, and I, it was almost overwhelming, right, right. sifting through the world of Lyle Blackburn. Yeah, and, and, yeah. The, and the cool thing about it, the cool thing about it, Lyle, was, is the fact that in everything you do, or in each thing that you do, you know what you're talking about. So, for example, I was looking at a lot of the, um, the seminars you were doing, a lot of the Q&As on your cryptology, and it was so in-depth. And then I would turn and go and find another, like, uh, interview or, or, or a podcast or, or a TV interview where you're talking about your, your, your comic books and, and, and um, your writing. And then another one would be completely on the band, but all of them were so well um, uh, diverse, but yet very uh, knowledgeable. Um, uh, I, and I, like, I, I can, I, you know, I just want to commend you on that. That you know, you're, you know, a lot of people can say they do a lot of things and just do them okay, or do one thing really well and do other things okay. But you seem to do everything that you love to do really well. And um, so, you know, I that takes a level of passion, though. I think, right, Lyle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm so into what I do. And I mean, there's kind of always been a theme of monster or horror in everything I've done. And that's kind of in, in mm -hmm. the band. And then, of course, you know, as a monster hunter, quote unquote, it's all in there. And, uh, you know, that, you know, that's just what I'm passionate about. So it's easy to pump out all this stuff because that's all I really want to do. It's like, you know, I don't, I don't have a desire to go fix up a hot rod or whatever it el else somebody might do for a hobby. Literally, I like it so much that, you know, my sort of my hobby or my life and what I would want to do is what I do. So that kind of helps to feel, you know, so much stuff and to be knowledgeable. You know, I used to be in the, we'd go on tour or whatever. I was always in the van sitting there reading you know, books about legends and weird stuff while, you know, the bands and they're drinking <laughs> and stuff. And so you know, fast forward a lot of years, that's, you know, that's, that's a lot of brain cells lost in one department. And in my department, a lot of knowledge had built up, which it just happened that I decided to take a break and write a book and propelled me into this whole nother thing of which now I can pour gotcha. in all the, stuff i've learned man and that's why i said in the intro renaissance man yeah. because that's what it reminds me of yep, and another yep. thing that's really cool yep. going back to adele's point is it was almost overwhelming looking at all the interviews and you just seem like the kind of you're very accessible and you just seem like the kind of guy yep. who would as long as it makes sense and your schedule permits you'll just do any interview you'll talk to anybody and i think that's awesome yeah that's absolutely true one reason i like being where I'm at and perhaps while I'm not, you know, perhaps while I'm not any bigger is because I like to have a handle on everything I do. I like to keep in touch with the people. I mean, I kind of started my career in, in like punk rock and I, I still, you know, I don't have a mohawk or look what people think is punk rock, but I have that sort of do it yourself kind of vibe to where I like to just put it out there. You know, I'll talk to whoever, whatever, you know, and, and uh, that is my own sort of PR machine, and I'm in control of it. Mm -hmm. I'm in control of 
the content, the material. I own the label for Ghoul Town, which, you know, has kind of paid off because these days it is cool to own your own label. Back when I started doing it, of course, yeah. nobody's oh, yeah. going to sign a band like right, that. Right, right. You know, the do-it-yourself thing is kind of it kind of became the way to do it. And once the internet came around, I'm like, I'm, I'm right in touch with fans directly. There is no middleman. So, you know, it's all good. Yeah. And I'm from the punk rock world too, played in punk bands all coming up, had little guy productions mm-hmm. through shows and did all that stuff myself. And where I am now, and maybe you can give me some advice on this. Like I host, like I said, in the intro, three different podcasts. I run this network. I, do um, social media for an actor. And sometimes I feel like, well, maybe I'm like spreading myself too thin. And if I just focused on one of these creative endeavors, I could do it so much better than having 10 different projects going on at a time. Do you struggle with that? And is, do you think that's something that somebody can maintain? Cause I'm starting to feel the burnout from it after five, six years of doing this. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly understand that. And you know, I, you know, yeah, there is always sort of the internal debate as to whether, you know, I'm chasing too many rabbits and not catching any. Um, so, you know, you have to kind of judge each situation. In, in my mind, I usually rationalize it, especially now is like Monster Hunter is my day job. And I'm in a band that is sort of a night job. I mean, I don't mind doing two jobs when it's as cool as that. And Obviously, I've had mm-hmm. to cut down the touring of Ghoul Town. If I was on tour all the time with Ghoul Town, I could only do pretty much that. So the fact that I kind of, I just kind of burn out on just touring and, and stuff. And, and people, you know, most of the places that buy our music, we rarely tour there anyway. So if I kind of cut out the touring, it's like I can easily do both if you consider sort of having two jobs and I don't. I try to balance it out, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's kind of a, you know, you wonder if, well, maybe the band would be bigger if I did a hundred percent or if I just did this other a hundred percent, but I don't know. I just, I mean, absolutely, man. That's my struggle. Let's kind of shift and talk about ghoul town because as I was, um, researching ghoul town on YouTube, this is how I run across the newer bands. Well, newer bands to me, bands Mm -hmm. that I get into, then other bands come up in that little sidebar. Well, if you like Gold Town, you might like Devil Makes Three or Blues. I'm, I'm probably butchering this name. Um, Sorensian or whatever. And I noticed that there are other bands that have kind of that rock metal incorporated Old West sound. But none of them have mm-hmm. been around as long as Ghoul Town. And it's like Dark Country was one of the names that are thrown out. And Gothabelly, like I said. But it seems like you guys invented that genre because you were back at the end of 99 putting Ghoul yeah. Town out. Actually, the late 90s, putting out Ghoul Town. Were you guys the ones who sparked that genre? Because I couldn't really find any bands like that prior to 99. Uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I'm almost so enveloped in my own stuff that I have no idea. But I can tell you, yeah, when we started the band... There was absolutely nothing like it. Um, even the clothing, you can kind of buy Ghoul Town looking, and that would be sort of this rock, western, dark looking, you know, western shirts with studs and whatever. We we just made our own clothes back then. Wow. And I mean, there was nothing to buy. I mean, there was you know me wearing the the kind of cowboy hat. You know, you see a few rockers wearing that stuff, but now you can just get online yeah, yeah. and 
buy the bent up hat and stuff. It's like, dude, I had to go to freaking Mexico, literally, <laughs> to get shit. that hat it's, it's, that I wear. I mean, it's like, um, it's like, uh, uh, I know it's like, uh, for us, like Nick said earlier, coming from like the punk rock thing, it, it was so funny because I remember having, you know, we live in Maryland, but having to travel to like DC to certain parts to get a certain, you know, band t-shirt or oh, like yeah, said, Smash whatever you're really trying Georgetown. to find. Doc Martens or whatever were huge, but you couldn't find them in Chuck County. You had to go out and venture. And it's so funny now, I, you know, I can walk through a mall and I just shake my head because I'm like, wow, look, it's all right here. Or like you said, it's online and you can just buy it. And it's, it's The like, stuff man, we used okay. to get sideways <laughs> looks for wearing is the stuff people are buying at the mall now to be ironic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, all of yep. that, all of that, you know, just that always kind of the sub subculture underground becomes mainstream and acceptable. But I mean, I don't know about Ghoultown being big. One problem, I mean, one problem with the band is it's great to be so unique, but we had absolutely no genre. They gothabilly was a term that we were lumped in with because there was three uh, compilations put out in like the late 90s and early 2000s that lumped some bands together. They weren't, none of them sounded like us with the Western thing, but that kind of got the gospel mm -hmm. deal and at least put us in some club, you know, and we did a, we, we went and played a show at CBGB's in New York um, to debut that compilation. It was good and it made the band known. Um, but yeah, having no genre, a lot of those years, I just felt like, man, nobody, you know, how do we, succeed no we can't go on tour with anybody uh, nobody understands it um and at the time i'm picturing just the lost cowboy as you're saying this yeah it was and and but over the years it's funny because it's it, as people discover us they're like oh my god I, I don't believe it like you know this band is awesome or whatever and uh, we've gotten more and more and more fans to where the band is big bigger than ever we we've kind of toured less but we i mean it's as it's just i mean our video you know our drinking living dead video is like almost nine million views i mean that's a that's a great video you know, too by the way that is an incredible video yeah that was the first video i saw from you guys and when i heard your yeah. sound i was trying to process and i like stuff creatively that challenges me that i haven't heard before but that's still in a certain pocket where i can groove or rock out to it and that's exactly what that captured. But when I see those mm -hmm. other bands on that sidebar that kind of have the same sound, do you consider like imitation as the greatest form of flattery type thing? Or are you kind of like, now all these cats are coming behind me and making a living off something I created? <laughs> well, I doubt they're making a living, but they, I, honestly, I have no idea. I don't know if they were inspired by us or if they just simply thought they, you know, thought up the idea or maybe they like Johnny Cash and sort of stumbled on it. I really don't know if there is any sort of, you know, following of Ghoultown. I know we get fans who send us all their tattoos and people that, you know, follow us and like us. But as far as bands that have sort of followed our path, man, I, I really don't even know. I don't even know that those bands, I mean, I don't even have time to look at them. I just, Ghoultown in my mind is just so unique and so such a pioneer and and you know carved our i'm so used to carving our own path that I, I just literally don't pay any attention to to anything else so i 
I, I'm really <laughs> at a loss as to whether those bands are uh, because of us or just happened to coincidentally having the same dark uh, I, I think yeah. you're the godfather of all those bands. I can't yeah, believe it. Dee's messaging me. She wants to get I in am. here. You must be inspired, Dee. I, yeah. I just got to let Lyle know that of those 9 million views for that video, probably about 100,000 at least are just from Nick. Like, I probably have heard that song well enough that I could do it for karaoke without the words. Like, <laughs> well, you know how I get when I find a new thing that I like. Obsessed. I Obsessed. just play it over and over no, again to my ears. It's actually, I, I totally, I have a completely different musical taste than Nick does. And I'm like, you know, this is kind of fun. This is this is kind of cool. I, I like this. Like, I'm good well, with that. Well, it makes you think, like, they're a band that's playing, like, in Dust of Dawn in the background or in yes. fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre at an exactly. old roadhouse. It's the imagery, and you're a writer. And I think yeah, because you're, you're a writer, it's so easy to get lost in those songs because the imagery really comes through in your lyrics. And I think that comes from you coming from mm-hmm. the right as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel one of my strongest point of talents in the band is the lyrics. And, the, and in my mind, you know, it was always, now I grew up in texas and my parents listened to old country i mean well they listened to contemporary country but this was at the time when you know it was johnny cash merle haggard and all the classic stuff and that's what they listened to yeah and you know when i'm a kid i then kind of rebelled and listened to kiss records and then got got into the misfits and i liked all the spooky dark stuff but somewhere in there that love of sort of johnny cash singing ghost riders in the sky had such a powerful Mm. image to me that when I started Ghoul Town, in my mind, it was just sort of like a band that representing represented that kind of Ghost Riders in the Sky mixed with Johnny Cash's sort of rebel attitude and thrown in with all that metal and punk that I'd listened to with some spaghetti Western badassness over the top. And so that was the vision of Ghoul Town. And of course, within that, you know, you got to have some cool stories about dead outlaws and, you know, saloons and and that sort of vibe you know well the thing that cemented you guys into my mp3 player mix for life is i was doing research and i found out that ghoul town the concept actually came from you writing a comic book and that you were like wow this is a really cool idea and you actually turned that comic book idea into a real world band and I was like, this is the only band on the planet that has an actual fucking comic book origin story. How amazing is that? These guys actually have a comic book origin. Because I, I got yeah. 10,000 comic books in my closet. All bagged and bored. I've been collecting comics since I was 13. I'm a huge comic book nerd. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up as a comic book nerd. And, you know, as a writer, because I kind of split the time between music and stuff. And I'd done some metal bands that were quite popular and we toured a lot and but i wanted to do something unique but i'd taken some time off and then i wanted to do a writing project i really wanted to do a comic book because i'd never done a comic and so yeah i start thought up this idea and then i had this band called ghoul town that was in sort of in the corner shadows of this comic and then i even made a logo that what is now the you know the logo you see ghoul town i'm like man you know I think I got to make this band into into real life. And so I kind of put the comic stuff aside, did the band. And then I did come back uh, about a couple of years into it. I happened to meet a 
guy was a big fan who owned a independent comic book company and i told him that i'd started this with a comic book so he actually put out a several issues of of a ghoul town comic so it, it kind of worked backwards but yeah it did that's literally where it came from and you know i was on your site looking at the scripts for issue three and four because those never got published and i'm kind of an ocd person and i was like man how does lyle deal with the fact that two issues came out and the other two did it that would drive me fucking crazy i would be running all over the place trying to get <laughs> the whole four issues or it would just hang over me incomplete the rest of my life, that would hang over my head. I don't know how you deal with that. Uh, yeah, it, it bugs me. And at the time when that little, little independent comic book, they did a, a eight-issue preview, and then they did two issues of a four-issue miniseries, and then they decided they weren't going to do comics anymore. So I did package it all up, and I hit up Dark Horse and Image. I hit them all, and you know nobody bid on it. And so I just kind of had to leave it because, like, well, you know, ultimately the band is starting to do well. You know, we're playing CBGB's all this, like, you know, a comic book is sort of then distracting fast forward. I could easily get a ghoul town comic book done and going. And I mean, heck the guy that does our ghoul town covers is Dan Brereton, which is a huge, uh, he does not, does nocturnal comics, but he does covers for, you know, justice league and everything. Um, yeah, and I know yeah, a lot of comic, you know, Eric, Eric Powell did one of our covers. He's the, oh wow, uh, the, the goon. I know tons. I know Steve yeah. Niles very well, but of course, at this point, I have to. I can only do so much, and that sort of it's going to have to bug me forever because I just can't put the time into the comic because you know there's just too much other, you know, the movies and, and books and and just the band itself. So it. You're a yeah, better man than me. I'm a completionist. <laughs> I have to have complete runs on my site. I still can't get over that soap. Never had that final episode, that old TV show soap. I've got them on DVD, and I'm like, oh, fuck, man. I wish they had that last episode. Everybody, It was a cliffhanger where everybody was going to die, and now I never will know what happened. All right, let me switch, um, kind of shift gears here. I want to talk about the creative process. With you guys having the steam that you do in Ghoul Town, do you ever run across something like politically and you're passionate about it or even culturally like oh my god the new wolverine movie is fucking awesome and the creative gears are turning and you have a song in your head and then you're kind of pigeonholed because you're like this won't fit in with the ghoul town brand or do those or do you only kind of think in song terms when you're watching a spaghetti western or something that fits into that bracket or do you have to kind of take a lot of things and go this won't fit that sucks because it's something i really would love to write a song about uh, it doesn't happen too much. Usually the, the song vibe is, it comes out very ghoul town oriented. I mean, ghoul town does vary. I mean, we got some tuned down heavier tunes. We got some slower, you know, dirgy ballad, Johnny Cashish stuff. So there, there's a Alvira pretty wide song. range. The Elvira thing. Yeah, I mean, I can yeah. do do there's a pretty wide range of which i can kind of fit stuff in there and just kind of you know put a black hat on it and make sure the lyrics say something about you know uh, uh outlaws or something so you know i don't and i'm not really i, I like a huge variety of music every kind of music but it seems like when i sit down to write something it just comes out ghoul town so i don't you know, as long as it's a good song, it usually is going to fit in. There's rarely a time when I have to just 
like, well, I just wrote the greatest song ever, but it doesn't feel ghoul, fit ghoul town. That never happens. It just, I'll make it work. <laughs> right on. There you go. Adele, so you I know, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, I know with everything that you do, there's uh, there's diff- different, like, satis- satisfying things in them. How, I guess my question is, is how, what is the satisfaction level for sort of like for each thing? So I know when you, like you were just talking about writing songs, is it the same feeling when you go out and and you're finding things that bring you closer to Bigfoot or to different monsters or even creating like uh, comic books? Is there, is there a similar satisfaction in that? Uh, I think, well, because I've done so many albums over the years and I've been doing music for so long that, you know, I, I, I'm proud and I enjoy putting out a new album, but that to me is easier than, than fast forward to, to actually, especially when I started writing my first book to actually get a book written, to put it out. And then it, then for it to be literally one of the best sellers on the publisher, that was a new thrill. You know, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then, then the challenge of, can I get out another book? Can I even do it again? And then, so mm-hmm. as I did books, mm-hmm. there, there was a big satisfaction level in that. And then when television shows started wanting to have me on and, and then this film company wanted me to narrate their documentaries, you know, and then, then those come out and people go, Oh man, your voice is great for this and whatever. Those were new levels of satisfaction because they were things I'd never done and I didn't feel like I was okay. accomplished. So I think as I expand on these new things, that that gives a, a, a new level. But as you're doing these things, and I know you took kind of an eight, nine-year break from Ghoultown, at least it being totally active through that whole period, um, mm-hmm. one, how does the kind of band react? Because I've been in bands before, and if we were getting a lot of momentum, and I'm like, yeah, now I'm going to go do this other thing, it might cause some friction. And two, like once you start writing and getting into that world, do you get a sense like, hey man, I don't know if I'm going to end up back with Ghoul Town because I'm loving what I'm doing with the writing and monster hunting so much. Well, the band, the guys were cool with me kind of taking the break to write the first book, and they. The problem was is I mean we literally kind of felt like we were beating our heads against the wall because Ghoul Town had sort of reached a level to where we weren't getting any further. We we were perceived as kind of being a, a bigger band, like we could headline, but we were really small enough to where we need to be on tours, but we couldn't get on any tours because we're so weird and we didn't have a label. And um, What kind of bands we, did they usually put you with when you did tour? Mm-hmm. Uh, we toured with Blitz Kid once, which is like a horror punk band. Um, we've played with like Hank 3, you know, nice. the country... Yeah. Um, we've done some shows with the misfits here and there. Um, uh, we've done a lot of gigs around. We do like some small tours with a band called the flame trick subs out of, out of Texas. They're kind of big in Texas, but not, not very big anywhere else. Um, so there's usually anything that had any kind of a spooky vibe, whether it's horror punk or rockabilly or, you know, something that then okay well ghoul town's spooky i guess we'll stick them with that but we were always way more rock and roll and our shows are amped up and oh you yeah know, and, and that's great except for you know maybe the misfits fans a lot of them would like us and a lot of them just go 
oh, what is this? You know, it's not straight up, whoa, oh, whoa. It's like something totally wacky. Um, so, you know, we just kind of, we were just kind of up to a point where it's like, damn, we just keep touring and, and it's reached a certain level. So when I took the break and wrote the book and then all that happened, I think actually by me being on TV exposed a whole shit ton of new people to the band that would have never listened to ghoul town. And then as streaming services and all this kind of got a handle, um, all of a sudden, you know, YouTube and stuff, all of a sudden, man, our stuff was selling better than ever. The videos are getting tons of hits and it gave us a little bit of new energy. And we said, Hey man, we should come back and, you know, we should play some more gigs. We should, we should do a new album. We were getting offers. We played, you know, a huge festival in the UK uh, a couple of years ago. Um, these big offers coming in. So now we just kind of do select stuff. And the other guys are in like other bands or they work as sound men at, you know, clubs or with other bands. So they got okay. stuff going on. And we're like a real family. I mean, our one of our guitarists, I've known him since I was three. Damn. So oh, wow. we... we we're definitely a family. We just sort of agree, like, here's the amount of stuff we're going to do. Everybody's like, that sounds fun and cool. And that way we just keep it. It's all fun, you know, and everybody's down with that. What's the experience like the second time around? You come back in 2017 with Ghost of the Southern Sun, and you start touring on that album after you have that exposure from television. Is the energy level totally mm-hmm. different? And you're like, holy shit, what happened? Yeah, it it was totally different. After we had taken, we kind of took about, we did a European tour in 2010, and then we kind of didn't tour much after that. We didn't play much. And then about 2015, 2014, 2015, we played some shows, and even in Texas, and lo and behold, they were packed. There were so many people were like, holy crap, you know, we don't play, and then all of a sudden it was just, I guess our fan base had built up just from the listening that it was just bigger than ever. And then, you know, we started, you know, we goes to the Southern sun and, um, you know, the band was just somehow bigger than it ever was. And so I don't know, whatever we did or our time kind of, I think time kind of caught up now. It's like, Oh yeah. Ghoul town's cool. You know, back when we were first doing this, literally, <laughs> people just looking at us like, what the Scratching their heads, yeah. Man, that is an incredible <laughs> story. I hope that happens to me. Yeah, sometimes is. I that feel is. like I'm in a maze and I keep hitting the same fucking wall and I can't get out. And I, I hope like five years from now I go and focus on something else and come back. We had, used to have a political show called The Ignorance Equation and it ended badly because of how toxic politics are now. And I'm like, man, one day I'm going to bring that show back and it's going to be even better than the three years we were on air. And I think that's timing is everything, man. It just feels that way. Yeah, it is. And you can look at examples. I mean, the Misfits are a good example of that. When they were first playing, yes, they, they, at least they had the hardcore punk scene that they were a part of a scene. So they automatically had, you know, a following. But in the larger sense of, of the world, you know, it wasn't until they were broke up, done, and Metallica covers one of their songs, and suddenly that band oh, yeah. is ginormous. And they're not even yep. together anymore. I forgot that was, about that. That was tiny. Yep. I mean, I was in the original Misfits Fiend Club. I'd wear Misfits shirts to high school and stuff when I was a kid. 
Yeah, nobody knew what the hell that was. Now you go down to the mall, and every other kid has some kind of a misfit thing on. You're just misfits. like, what the hell? Yep. Did those guys uh, yep. ride Highway to Hell? I love the Misfits. They don't even know who the <laughs> fuck the Misfits are. <laughs> uh, yeah, I yeah, think I so. See, I, I see mean, it around here a lot in Baltimore. Yep. So yeah, let me got that mentality. Let me talk about some of your yep. former music projects. I'm probably going to butcher this name again. Solitude Eternus. Am I saying that right? It was on Roadrunner Records. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I listened to them, and, you know, not really my cup of tea. I'm not into the really kind of doom metal thing. But then I listened to The Kill Creeps, and I was totally into that. And I was like, holy shit, I, I love this fucking band. But I was listening to your songs, especially um, Wicked Man, and I was like, this seems like a prelude to Ghoultown. I can hear the seeds of Ghoultown in this song. What happened mm. with The Kill Creeps? Did it morph into Gold Town, or did you guys break up and Gold Town was a totally separate thing? Kind of give me that history. And then we're going to play some um, Kill Creeps here in a second, too. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, like I said, I kind of started with the hardcore punk thing when I was a kid and played some stuff. And then I got into Solitude Eternus, which was a doom metal band and achieved a, quite a cult following. I mean, you know, and being on Roadrunner Records, it was beneficial you know we did a lot of touring and then i was kind of just tired of the doom metal thing it was like do our shows were just a bunch of dudes and i'm like man that's lame you know do something <laughs> fun i'm with and you, i kind of <laughs> you know what i'm saying and so i kind of went back to my horror horror punk roots and did the kill creeps and you know we did one album and i, I really liked that and but I still didn't feel like I was kind of always searching for something that was super unique. And I felt like the kill creeps was, it was cool, but it was not my ultimate goal. And so that band kind of sounds like the accused has that vibe. If you remember those guys. Yeah. And so with the particular song, wicked man, which actually the music was written by our, the guitarist, when we clicked onto that, which was totally different than all the other kill creep stuff. I'm like, dude, that's got something. And that's when the sort of, you know, I'd been working on the comic book and then the, the, the Johnny Cash Ghost Riders in the Sky, all this sort of kind of came up and I thought, what if we did a band that was like dark Western and kind of went with that vibe, you know, call it Ghoul Town, like I was doing in this, the comic book thing. And, and it just really clicked at that point. And then when I started Ghoul Town, originally was the same people same members of the kill creeps and then i added a a guy to play acoustic guitar and then then we ended up changing a few members um so at first yeah it was pretty much the kill creeps morphed into it and you know just just to kind of throw it out there and try and we we immediately you know it was fun it was different and then once we got on that gothabilly uh, compilation all of a sudden it was like um, it just sort of clicked and I thought I, I can do something with this. And I felt like finally, this is something so unique that whether people like it or don't, they will remember, you know, ghoul town. So was everybody on board at first or was everybody kind of saying, you know, kind of like you were saying, like, where are we going to fit in? How are we going to pull this off? Who are we going to play with? Uh, luckily I've, I've had a, a great group of musicians and friends that, tend to uh, at least humor my crazy ass ideas and that's a good thing uh, to have <laughs> man that's a really I mean, good thing to have yeah it is and i mean the guys you know half the guys in ghoul town are still the original members after nearly 
you know, tw- uh, nearly 20 years now. And, um, wow. they, they trust me that, you know, this is, this is cool. And I don't know that I'm lucky because that even in the kill creeps more, if everybody was willing to try it and, uh, enjoyed it. And then you know, the ones that faded away just weren't, weren't, they, they weren't, you know, somebody that was going to pursue music, you know, as much as the rest of gotcha. us. So that's, that's kind of what we had to replace a few people just simply because you start touring and you do this other th- stuff and it separates the, you know, the, the weekend warriors from the people who are like trying to do this, you know, full on. All right. Well, let's um, kind of kick in the origin story here and play some wicked man by the kill creeps. And we'll come back and wrap this up. D take it away. Yeah! 
All right, guys, we're back um, here with Lyle Blackburn. I want to ask you something, and then we're, I want to ask you something about your book, but there's something I've got to ask you first about Ghoultown. When you guys play in other countries, or even, hell, when you play in, like, New York City, do you feel like people in other parts of the country, and especially in other countries, kind of make that same connection and relate with that Texas Old West theme? Or do you kind of have to grow up in Texas to like 100% get it or grow up watching spaghetti westerns to completely get it? Or when you go over to like the UK, do those cats get it just as much as people in Houston? I think in Europe we've experienced a better um, acceptance of it. And I think they have a sort of appreciation just like – when they, you know, they grew up maybe watching Westerns and sort of loved Cowboys and all that stuff. And being from Texas, we show up over there, man, the, the fans in Europe, we, the first time we went to Germany, there was some dudes out there with leather jackets with ghoul town stuff painted on the back. I mean, they Ooh. looked like they should have been in the band. I was like, <laughs> I, we were like, dude, they get it. Like, this is, yeah, this is yeah. perfect. That's fucking awesome. And, they appreciate it. I mean, in the rest of, you know, the, the U S and Canada, it was, it's just always kind of hit or miss. You'd have people showing, you'd have those people show up. They're wearing the black hats and the black clothes, you know, they're fans. You can spot them a mile off. Like, There's a ghoul town fan. And, and the others were just a <laughs> mix of literally like every kind of music fan, but always the kind of music fan that didn't give a damn what people thought. You're like, I like ghoul town. I'm going to see them. And, you know, they bring all their wacky friends and they'd all just come up and say, man, this is unbelievable. We've never seen a band like this. So um, we had to earn it more in the U.S. Over over in Europe, you know, it was almost like uh, they they were ready for that. Odell, we talked about this last week um, with Lori Fairbanks, how when I was yeah. little, I used to get Kerrang! magazine because Circus Circus and Metal Edge and all that stuff was bullshit. The cats over across the pond, as they say, were always so much more sophisticated when it came to music. So I would read the UK magazines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny how uh, I, I, I went to London, um, I guess, two summers ago. And it's amazing how much they just appreciate music, uh, good music too. So you could uh, you could go to any bar or pub, as they say, or um, in any location, and you're going to find such an eclectic mix of music. But it's all good, and they appreciate good music. I think it's the same way in Asia as well. Um, they appreciate really, really, really good music, and I think uh, you know what you guys do, and it and it and it and it's coming from the heart. So they understand that too. I think they understand it better than a lot of people in the states do. But um, I know for one thing, Lyle. I know being from Texas. Um, I'm not from Texas, but I, I've been fortunate enough to play in Houston and play in Austin a few times and in and, and past bands. And talking to bands from uh, Texas, they talk about how hard it is to get out of Texas to tour, just because Texas is such a huge state. Um, is that something? Is that something that you guys went through um, uh, coming up as a band? Um, you know, having that time because, like everybody I talked to, they were like, "Man, it's hard to just get out of this area." Yeah, geographically, it, it seems like a hurdle, right, Lyle? Yeah, it definitely is because, man, if you you know, just to drive and kind of get started outside of Texas, you know, it, it's a huge jump, and there could there's sometimes we had a problem. We played Atlanta a lot. 
which is about mm-hmm. you know, maybe 14 hour drive from where we are. And there was literally no place to play in between that was worth even stopping. I mean, and yeah. so that, that is a problem because, you know, before you ever start to play one gig and to go up the East coast, you've got to drive, you know, a long way with the expenses of that. And you can't, you know, we can't just zip out and do like, uh, you know, a quick, you know, 10 date tour and cover very much other than Texas and Oklahoma. You know, it's like, you don't think um, you guys would have fit in in those days in a place like Nashville. Cause I mean, that seems like those guys would have been pretty accommodating even back then. Actually, no, because we were just so off the map of, you know, we're not pop country. We're not old country. We're not, you know, we got those elements, but you know, the, that, and we're so unconventional too. I mean, our songwriting, I mean, what you heard with the Kill Creeps Wicked Man was just sort of a, almost a prototype of right. trying to figure out what we're doing. As we went on, you know, we just expanded that into all sorts of versions of some of its more, you know, Southern metal, some of its more spaghetti Western. I mean, we're just all over the map. And Nashville, you know, those kind of music scenes are very picky and in the mainstream at least on on what they accept you know it's very rare that you know something like even hank three he's very unconventional but he you know he kind of sticks to his you know his grandfather's template somewhat and he's got a name so he can kind of kind of get in there but even then he he writes songs about how he hates it (laughs) <laughs> it's, like, so, it's so nothing. crazy how we divide each other up with these fucking labels and everybody's got to fit into this little box i mean it's daunting it's exhausting trying to keep track of i mean i remember when metal broke up like um that band helmet came out and they were heavy but they had short hair and then here comes nirvana yeah and like and then metal got dissected into like power metal and doom metal and thrash metal and death metal and it was like it's dissected into so many groups i can't even keep track like oh if you listen to sabotage you're not as legit as if you listen to slayer and you motley crew queers better get out of here if you're not listening to venom like it was crazy being a metalhead in the 80s and watching it kind of break up in the early 90s when grunge came to the scene and all these other elements came in. And it's like, man, dude, we just love to label shit. It's in our DNA. Yeah. Well, that's why yeah, the UK is such a beautiful thing. Um, like we were saying earlier, you know, you go over overseas and, and, and the labels aren't really there. Um, I, we went to like a couple shows when we were over there and they were completely different on the spectrum and and but everybody enjoyed it and it it didn't matter what you looked like it didn't matter what you wore it didn't matter where you came from they they appreciate uh really good music where i think here like you were saying nick there's just so many you got punk you got post-punk you got post-hardcore you got screamo you got emo you got metal you got new metal you got (laughs) yeah new metal. i forgot about that yeah yeah it you know I think bands and then subgenres of the subgenres. You need a fucking flow yeah. chart to keep track of what bands are going to be into. It's just I don't know. Maybe it's yep. my age hitting um getting close to fifty. I don't <laughs> have time for all that crap. All right, let's finish up with this. I want to talk a little bit about your other passion, and let's talk real quick about your book. Um, I know you've written four books. I know you have another one coming out, and we'll talk about that in a second. But the Beast of Boggy Creek. Um, this is from Folk, Arkansas, based on the movie The Legend of. 
Boggy Creek. I watched a couple interviews with you. It inspired me to look this movie up. YouTube actually had it. You could watch the whole movie on YouTube. I got about halfway through it. Could not get into it. But I know this movie was kind of the catalyst for your love of monsters. Explain to me about this movie and how it sent you on this trajectory of monster hunting and cryptozoology and being into all these things. Well, basically, you know, when I was, from as far back as I can remember, I loved horror movies, monsters, anything to do with that. And within that framework, you know, I mean, I saw the old Frankenstein movies. I, I knew that was Hollywood makeup. Uh, at the same time, I saw the what the famous Patterson-Gimlin film of the Bigfoot walking through the woods, and I read stories about the Yeti and Loch Ness Monster. Those really freaked me out because I thought, wow, that could really be out there. And I, I, w- I used to hunt with my dad in the woods, I mean, when I was little. So I was in a wooded environment. So that kind of really captured my imagination. Then uh, there was a movie that played all through the 70s, like in drive-ins and theaters called The Legend of Boggy Creek which was based on uh, sightings of a sort of Bigfoot-like creature in southern Arkansas in a kind of a swampy area, which is only about three hours from where I live in Texas. When I saw that movie, I mean, this is like horror movie meets real-life Bigfoot wildness. And, man, it was creepy Mm -hmm. and cool, and it just flipped my brain. And because I had, you know gone to all these little small towns and driven through them in the process of going to our hunting lease. I really identified with it, that, that kind of rural Texan Arkansas culture. And so the movie really struck home and it it is a lot about timing. I mean, now you look at it, it's kind of slow and it's, you know, the the nature-y shots and the, you you know, the monster is kind of in the shadows, but I think for me, the soundtrack ruined it. Just the music yeah. they would play in certain areas. I was like, all right, I'm checking out. Yeah, that soundtrack could have been better. <laughs> I mean, it's well done, but it's it gets sort of like um, educational film, wildlife Exactly. Film. That's what I was thinking. It's like Auto Visual yeah, Club, like rolling in the old um, eight-reel projector in science class. That's exactly the vibe yes. it had. Yeah. And that kind of – that does date it. Um, but anyway, so – um, you know, as I just was always fascinated with that movie and we were on tour once and I found the DVD in a truck stop and I got in the band. I just kept watching it over and over the band. The, my bammers thought I was nuts, but you were watching like, it in the van, like on a computer or something, Holy like shit. on a laptop. And, and they were just like, but it was just something that I wanted to kind of reminisce about. And then I just had this desire, like. You know, I started writing for the Rue Morgue, the horror magazine. I thought, I should write a book, and I would like to write a book about the legend of Boggy Creek because it's got creepy stories, and it was supposedly all true. You know, and if I write a book, I can control the tone and the, you know, there is no soundtrack, so I can make this, this is real world scary. So I, you know, I set out and went up there to that little town and interviewed people and studied all the reports and found that all this shit in the movie was based on, you know, people saying they had seen this scary ass creature in the woods. And, um, that just became the book. I, I got a publishing deal literally within 10 days of sending it out. Oh, wow. Fairly mid So people were hungry publisher. for this. They, that was good. Could, yeah. They're hungry for it. I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe nobody had written a book on it. So that immediately, that book became the fastest selling book on the publisher. 
Within two months, I got a call from the show Monsters and Mysteries in America, which was just starting to happen. Um, and I got on that because they wanted to do a Boggy Creek. And was thing. that an A&E show? Uh, that was on Destination America. Destination. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. I remember that show. I used to watch and, that show, yeah. Yep. You know, I, I did several episodes and eventually became a story producer on, in season three, which, you know, all this stuff just literally came because I just wanted to find out the story of the Boggy Creek. I, you know, it was like I didn't have any intentions of, well, I'm going to be a, a good-selling author and then I'm going to be on TV. All it just happened. And that... And that's kind of the catalyst for, you know, after that, I thought, well, shit, this is good stuff. Maybe I should write another book. And I followed that up with one called Lizard Man, which is about sightings of a literally what seems like a creature from the Black Lagoon type thing in this area of South Carolina. People literally saying they'd seen this Lizard Man looking thing. And it was in a swampy area. I thought, man, this is cool. Cool. I went out there and investigated that, that. You know, got that book out, and so it just progressed to there. And now Alex mm-hmm. Jones says they're running the government. The see, they're trending now. They're hip now. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm always ahead of the curve. Obviously. There you um, go. D, I know you want to jump in here again. Man, you never ch- jump in on these music shows. I know. Well, the thing <laughs> is, is I'm very into cryptozoology. So asking as someone who's not as familiar with your work, um, you know, every culture, nearly every culture, has a theory or mythology on dragons. So, is that something you've worked on? Is that something you want to work on? And where do you stand on the existence of dragons? Because it seems scientifically possible. Like, really. And not just dragons, ghosts, aliens. Do you ever get out of, oh, do you move do out everything. of the purview of like Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, those type of things? Do you go into the dragons, ghosts, and all those other genres of the paranormal? I, I kind of stick with the, you know, stuff that, pe- that people say they see in the woods. I'm all mm-hmm. about the kind of woodland, swampy settings. Dragons, to me, mm-hmm. um, get into the you know, just the mythology of monsters and, and not to say there's dragons may have existed at one time, but I don't, you know, it's not something I'm getting reports on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where I would sort of define what I would pursue as opposed to say, um, you know, some weird huge thing living in a river down here in Louisiana where I got reports or Ooh. countless Bigfoot reports all throughout the South and everywhere, um, even reports of, you know, like the lizard men, reptilian things, and then Mothman kind of flying humanoids. Oh, yeah. What about, like, Chupacabra? Yeah. Like, is that something you've had reports? I know it's more of a Texas thing, but um, is that something you've had a lot of reports on? Have you, like I said, for those of us who aren't as familiar with your work, um, is that something that you have studied or are interested in studying? Because... I mean, I've got family down there. You you might be able to crash on a couch. <laughs> right. Well, that that's sort of a uh, a two pronged thing because the original chupacabra uh, stories that came out of Puerto Rico and stuff in the mid '90s were of a sort of diminutive bipedal alien-looking mm-hmm. creature that was supposedly sucking the blood of livestock. And then you fast forward later and get these sort of mongrel-looking, hairless canids running through texas and the media called them chupacabras but they're not the same as what we can 
consider the traditional right. Latin American version. As far as a mangy coyote, while that it could be a cryptid because it could, you know, it, it is a could perhaps a hybrid, you know, version of, of some coyote or red wolf. Those don't excite me as much as sort of the seven foot tall, hairy ape that, you know, some hunter and some people that I've gotten to know well that I believe what they are telling me is saying they see seen in the woods. That's to me more monstrous. So I've always kind of dis. I get reports of chupacabras and stuff, but I've never really pursued it enough to where I'm going to write a book or, you know, go in depth like that. Yeah. Oh, Dale, it's kind of sad when you live in a city like Baltimore, you don't have that mythology or those kind of reports or any of that. And Jersey, I guess, has the Jersey Devil, but I don't think Baltimore has any folklore like that, right? I mean, well, not not per se like that, but it's definitely heavy in folklore. Maryland's really heavy in folklore. Um, More so uh, different ghosts and spirits um, that you would see in the city, more so. I would have to dig into that, but I know if you go to certain parts of Baltimore, there's a very um, spiritual um, essence that goes on just because it's, it's an old, it's so old. It's a, it's an old city an old town. So um, you would find out, but not, I don't think as far as like, uh, like the Bigfoots or anything of that nature. But it's not ever what you think though right lyle i mean i remember growing up i grew up right by crybaby bridge in maryland off moore's way and this is the bridge with the goat man but my dad said he Mm -hmm. knew the goat man and the goat man was just an old hermit that lived off of our property actually we we lived on like a hundred acres back in pg county and he said he actually knew it was like this 70 year old hermit who was covered with white hair everywhere and that got blown into the goat man and then crybaby bridge he'd throw babies off the bridge and you can hear them their souls crying so does this mythology come from things like that do you think like is is bigfoot not this like harry and henderson type thing but just this classification of animal that we haven't discovered yet well, yeah, I think, you know, and I was going to say you've got the Maryland goat man, because that would be one that I think of up in that area. And, you know, you, in Maryland, you I, I, it's not a big, heavy Bigfoot, you know, sighting area, but uh, th- those goat man stories are kind of the they're ubiquitous. You always find bridges and stick tales of goat men, which I think kind of get more into sort of urban tales or folklore yeah. Um, because again, I, I don't get people calling me up saying they saw a goat man. Now, not every day. Occasionally I do, but, um, Bigfoot, uh, you know, that's the, that's the question. You know, I've got certainly more, many, many more reports, many more, more credible reports. And so you, you're always trying to figure out if this is just people's, uh, something that's ingrained in us to see monsters. And is this, are we literally living mythology out as in the modern society or is huh. there an undiscovered species that's been out there? And, and that's what I kind of think it is. You well, know, and it's like possible. Nessie is like that too. Yeah. It's possible because people always say, well, if Bigfoot's real, why are there any bones? Well, let, let me tell you this. 
there, just for example, in, in Washington state, there's probably 30,000 bears, a population of 30,000 bears. Mm-hmm. When's the last time people came across a bear skeleton in the woods? Not very often. You could have a surviving population, uh, a viable population of Bigfoots, maybe 250, 250 Bigfoot versus 30,000 bears. If you don't find bear skeletons, what do you think the chances are of finding a Bigfoot skeleton when there's 250 of them? Not very good. So, you know, in perspective, in perspective, you can say, well, it seems improbable, but it, it's not impossible. No, hey, that's Lyle, a, I have wow. a question for you. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you, Lyle. Recently, yeah. we've had stories uh, or, or news stories that have come out like um, you had like a young boy that was in the woods for, I think, was several days. And he told his mom that a bear. Oh yeah, I remember that. Kept him warm. Um, did Did you find anything out of that story that would be like, huh? Maybe it wasn't a bear, or maybe it could have been something else. Um, yeah, there has been a, several of those cases where children disappear, mm-hmm. or you know, are almost kidnapped and taken in the woods, and it's very strange to think that a bear. Uh, would do something like that. It's not impossible, but, uh, you know, it kind of comes down to whether you you believe whether the kid has a very clear idea of what a bear is and what may be something like a Bigfoot, because that seems more, you know, like something a Bigfoot would do. And that those stories have been, have cropped up every once in a while as, as some of these kids have gone missing. And that, this isn't the first one. There's definitely others. And there's others that are even more, perplexing to where they've been carted off into some remote swamp through through bushes and briars and brambles. They don't have a scratch on them. And the searchers find them. They're barefooted. Uh, They don't have their coat. And they're like, how did they survive? And then they'll say almost the same thing. It was a big, hairy um, bear. You know, and you're like, a bear? Yeah, yeah. Bears don't carry. bears Bears don't pick you up and carry you. So... Yeah, and who knows how to explain those things. All right, let's finish up with this. I want to talk about your book. I actually saw on your Facebook today, pre-orders started today for Momo, The Strange Case of the Missouri Monster. And this is not to be confused, bad timing, right, with the little Momo challenge thing that's going around right now. I know, um, Odell, you had posted, or somebody I think had posted on one of your threads about the Momo challenge. This is not related to that. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Momo and the book and how you, where you can go to pre-order it and a little bit about it. Uh, yeah, it was kind of weird. I saw that Momo thing today. I was like, well, it's either good or bad. It's all the buzz. But, uh, but uh, yeah, the Momo case is, an, is another one that took place primarily in the early 70s, um, same as kind of the Boggy Creek case. And there was a lot of news coverage about it. It took place in a town... Uh, in eastern Missouri, right on the Mississippi River. And in this case, uh, residents of this like rural kind of farmland community town uh, said they had seen this huge six or seven foot tall uh, ape-like thing that walked on two legs, had hair in its face, and it frightened a number of people. Um, and there were sightings all up and down the Mississippi River. And this kind of all went through the 70s and um, and as well, you had all these outlying weirdness, like uh, strange lights in the sky, um, 
disembodied voices in the woods, just all kinds of weird stuff. And it's one that I've always known about and had read about as a kid. And it was another one where I was like, I know there's more to this story. So I went up to Missouri. I went to the town, interviewed a lot of people and got a lot of sightings from just all over the state to kind of, I don't know, compare and contrast to this case that had become so famous. So, so that's my new book and yeah, it's up for order today and um, you can get those, you know, all my books are available on Amazon and uh, you know, in, in ebook format and paperback and even hardback. Um, can you pre-order at Amazon? Cause I know the pre-order started today. Yeah. I think if you order it now on Amazon, it may ship uh, pretty, pretty soon. It just went up and then I sell copies from my site. So if you go to lyleblackburn.com, if you want an autographed, a copy of my books, then just hit the shop link there and you can order Momo and you can order any of them. So yeah, it's a pre-order on my site because I'll have to get them and autograph them and have my uh, lovely assistants mail those out. So nice. Um, but, but yeah, awesome. it's, it's up there and it's, uh, it, 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 I think it's my best book yet simply because it's, you know, I'm, I think each time I go into one of these cases, I'm more, uh, you know, equipped to, gather up all the cool uh, related stories and weave weave those into sort of a entertaining narrative about, you know, it's a monster tale and, you know, I I can't prove or disprove it, but once you read the book, you're like, well, man, these people saw something and that is some freaky stuff. It really seems like you should have your own show, man. Yes. Uh, oh, the, like a TV show? Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that that is, I've been pursued by producers and production companies now for a decade, constantly wow. with that. And let me wow. tell you, that's a, mi- a minefield of, of a mess. And I finally just, mm-hmm. I finally just do not entertain any more of it because most of them want you to be if they just followed me around in real life, it'd be make a good show, but they want to make some silly, silly stuff out of it. And, uh, the mm-hmm. times that I have agreed to go into development, it just always takes a bunch of time and never goes anywhere. So I'm very picky about that. And, you know, everybody's always saying I should have my own show. And, but thus far, you know, it, it just, it just hasn't happened. So I don't know. Let me shoot on this one to do. last thing in here. When you go to these locations and you've been reading about it and researching and you finally get at a location, do you feel like you over romanticize it in your mind and you really you're left disappointed? Or when you get out there, are you like, man, this is even more intense than I thought it was gonna be? Uh no, I mean I'm never disappointed because to me even if I can't prove it or have evidence. The story is what it is. It's literally um, uh, great and interesting stories, even in a cultural standpoint from the, the sociology of this, of people seeing things and reporting them and finding footprints. Um, so I think each time uh, I go, you know, I come away with it always with the, you know, the, the conclusion that, People saw something. I can tell you, these people saw a physical thing standing right there, and it was covered in hair. And uh, usually, when I talk to the the witnesses, um, um, you know, a good number of those witnesses, man, I'm like, these people are not making this stuff up. This this happened. Yeah. It just becomes right. a question a question of 
trying to say explain what it is they actually saw because we can't prove it but there's no doubt in my mind that these people saw something strange and that to me makes the great story i mean it is whether the monster exists whether we prove it or not because it is part of the culture of that area at this point you know that is fascinating Dee, do you want to take us home yeah and that makes a lot of sense because let me tell you i personally have seen some things that i just can't explain and I really me included. Think, oh yeah, <laughs> I really think you know knowing, just knowing scientifically that like let's say ten percent of the ocean has been explored because we just don't have the technology. It totally makes sense. Um, and I do have to ask because we do live in East Tennessee and we do live in the mountains. Are there any interesting stories? Like, are, is there anything we should be watching out for? around here that maybe we should be a little more alert to because let me tell you after being besides meth labs right after being in the mountains of east tennessee (laughs) for almost a decade it starts to become a little less magical but if there was something like to kind of watch for maybe we would pay attention i i mean i really think the smoky mountains we are and i really think it's kind of like the native americans when they first saw the um the english coming over to try to settle things you know they just saw people walking out of the ocean because they their brains simply couldn't comprehend it so is there anything over here that might be incomprehensible to our brains that we should be watching out for uh, well, I mean, I, I have gotten reports out of Tennessee of, of Bigfoot-like creatures. There's the mm-hmm. infamous Tennessee Tennessee Wildman is sort of the indigenous name for this creature that almost is a little more man-like than ape-like, uh, and it goes back. There's a long, long history. In fact, I wrote about this in my book Beyond Boggy Creek and talked about Tennessee and. There's some spooky cases and, and some where kids were being uh, approached and, and tried to be kidnapped by these these weird, uh, you know, hairy creatures. And, and so, you know, if you're up in the in the hills and hollers of Tennessee, I would I'll be on the lookout for the Tennessee wild men. Wow. Right I on. All right. had to check that book out. There for you sure. go. That's a great place to end. Lyle, I cannot thank you enough. We ran way over because you are just so stellarly interesting. I could talk to you for another hour. Um, Please tell everybody where we can find you on the interwebs, all the places we can find Lyle Blackburn and Ghoultown. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's always a good time uh, talking with like-minded individuals. Um, And if people want to find more information on me, of course, hit lyleblackburn.com l-y-l-e blackburn.com and that's got links to everything and you can hit the band at ghoultown g-h-o-u-l town.com but all those links are coming off lyleblackburn.com and you can find out uh, where to get my books and the music and and the whole thing so uh yeah appreciate everybody's support which book should i start off with because i don't have any of your books and i was kicking myself last week when i yeah, started researching yeah. that i wouldn't have time to read one for the novice like me which one should i start off with because i want to order one hmm uh i'd start with momo it's it's a really good concise and and you know great tale kind of in an american midwest it has a little bit of like I said, the weirdness in the sky, you've got the creature sightings, It's it's got me going to the town. That That's a good one to start, and uh, 
you know, you can just kind of backtrack from there. Right on. All righty, sir. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your insanely busy schedule. uh, Spend. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's been an hour and 15 minutes with us. Thanks, Lyle. Thank you. All righty. Odell, I know Dee will probably have us sleeping with the lights on tonight. Or at least the nightlight. (laughs) That's right. um, Dee never gets rattled, do you, Dee? Mm Mm-mm. She could watch The Exorcism and laugh through while eating mac and cheese. Yeah, the only thing that really <laughs> frightens me is the things that I've actually seen that I can't explain. Yeah, politics are pretty damn scary at times. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty scary right now. Alrighty, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back. Oh, geez. We're going to be putting a lot of... Odell, we've got a lot of crazy shows. Mm-hmm. We used to do these shows every Man. other Wednesday, but we have got so overbooked with bands wanting to come on, we're actually trying to do them almost weekly. Not totally, but almost, right? Yeah. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there, man. We actually have to start doing an update show every month now to have people back because we can't do full episodes with them. So we're just doing, I think the end next month, we're doing um, White Mystery, Oakley Doakley, and Ben Jaffe from Honey Honey. And just doing kind of like these. Which will be awesome. Yeah, 20-minute update clips. Because, I mean, the show has just gotten so much interaction lately. Which is weird, right? Like we were talking earlier in the show, it's like four years, and now suddenly we're finally starting to get some momentum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perseverance, man. I think it's just keep, you just keep grinding, man. It's a grind. It's, it's, you know, it's, Are we you know, the ant with the rubber tree music. plant? Like you used to always hear in music That's class it. to teach you perseverance. <laughs> that is it, man. You just got to grind, and eventually it just... People want to come on. They, they, it, it, music, it, it makes the world smaller. I've always thought that. I've, you know, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever, it's the same way in music. And I think when people hear and see and listen and like, yeah, I actually want to go on there. Oh, they had them on there too? Wow, okay, I want to try to get on there as well. Because, you know, Lyle is, you know, Lyle is influencing somebody out there that's listening to this and, 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 and nine times out of ten, we'll end up having that person on because they checked out Lyle Blackburn's interview uh, talk on here with us tonight. So Yeah, we I have a lot of local circle. bands now writing us, and I've been telling them to send the music to our, e- our actual email instead of Facebook. And I was like, you know what, in yeah. May, I want to put together a show of just unheard of like local bands, like Government Cheese was when we were starting out. Because these yeah, guys are yeah. writing us, and they need a break. And I was like, you know what, I want to pay it forward. And they'll get a kick out of us playing our music on the show. So why not? Let's just have five and or six friends, of these yeah. fans on here and just let them talk about what they're doing. And who knows? Maybe they'll blow up and be huge in 10 years. And we were the first people to do it. Guarantee you. And I guarantee you their friends will be listening and wanting to hear it. And that just helps them out, too. You know, and, you know, and not there, that I'm even they can add thinking about it from a marketing standpoint i'm just like you know what dude i'm damn lucky you're damn lucky i just want to pay this stuff for yep. so let's do that all that's right it. that's a good place to end d you want to roll us out <laughs>